sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. At every Mass that we as Catholics celebrate, the priest says, over the bread, this is my body, and over the wine, this is my blood. As Catholics, we believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. But what does that mean? Where does it come from? How do we know? And what does it matter? That's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into the real presence, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have, if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do so is by email, and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. He caught me. Caught me drinking my tea. Did you, What's going on across a, across the way a, from me? There's a little gnat flying so, around the studio, and he landed right on my microphone, like right where, so where if I'm you're going listening, to speak. And I didn't want to like inhale the the dead the air. Gnat. My my co-host today is like making the cut <laughs> no, sign. No, I was I was doing this. But that like, looked like out of the corner of my eye. That's the cut <laughs> sign. And then you're doing all sorts of things. Renee Kranz, what's going on? There, there's a gnat in here, and there's he's pestering me. Yes. Okay. So what an auspicious way to begin an episode <laughs> on Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Thanks a lot, I'm Renee. sorry. Uh, Renee, it's been a while since I asked this question. Who are you? Oh, um, I am the Director of Communications for the uh, Diocese of Sioux Falls. Um, so, yeah, we work on getting all the communications out for, to the diocese from the bishop, from discipleship and evangelization, mm-hmm. and yep. Uh, just making sure everybody gets all the information. And um, I'm from Watertown, Castlewood area originally. Married. No kids. Just a stupid cat. <laughs> <laughs> and she can't, she doesn't understand words, so it won't hurt there her feelings go. that I said that. There we go. <laughs> uh, so folks, if you never listened before, because I, I used to introduce myself all the time, but then kind of stopped because... Do I need to do that every show? But I suppose right. every now and then. Every once in a while is good. Uh, so Chris Bergwald, Director of Discipleship Formation for the Diocese of Sioux Falls. 20 years come September Oh, 1st. my gosh. 20 years. Uh, I can't believe they haven't brought you a box to pack up your stuff yet. Oh, that'd be more than one box. Oh, yeah. You'll really you'd appreciate that if that happens. <laughs> the U-Haul will pull up to the right. front door. Yes, exactly. <laughs> for all the books. Uh, more importantly, married to Jermaine since 1999. Mm-hmm. So here in a couple weeks, it's going to be 23 years. Wow. Uh, and then we have five kids, all born and raised in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Nice. She's from Ohio. I'm from central Minnesota. Uh, I didn't. we have lakes and trees and uh, things. I didn't uh, say, I should say, uh, Ryan and I, my husband and I uh, celebrated our 20-year anniversary yes, this you year. Did. Happy yeah, anniversary. Just recently. Kids. He's put up with me that long. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, the context for why you do this. So you, you and I have been doing this, uh, what I repeatedly describe as a, a sauntering meander or a stroll through the mass. It might even be a wandering. Like you're just kind of aimlessly it's wandering. It's not aimlessly. Around. We're, oh, we're clearly true. going you're somewhere. Going step by step. But we're, we're doing a steps. deep dive. It's an occasional series. If you uh, review the archives of Ignition, you can. It's been it's been uh, actually several weeks since we did an episode. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to do one again. Kind of really unpacking what we do at Mass, why we do it, and how we can enter in more fully. But our engineer extraordinaire, Casey, recently asked me, 
So is there an episode of Ignition where you and some and a, and, and a guest or a co-host passionately talk about the Eucharist? And of course there is. So I searched the archives, and of course there isn't. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. Well, so we've talked about the Mass a lot. Right. Um, but in the series that you and I are doing, we're so far away from yeah. the consecration. I don't think we've even gotten to the readings yet, have we? Mm, I don't think so. Maybe not. <laughs> so we're, we're a ways away from the consecration. Um, and, and most of the stuff on the Mass has been, well, on the Eucharist has been about the Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, so our series, but other episodes as well. But to me, it was a, re- uh, it was a, well, that's a, we should just do an episode focusing on the real presence. Yeah. We'll get it in its larger context in this mass series that we're doing, but, but especially because we are now here um, in, in late July of 2022 um, in the, still the early stages, just over a month into this national Eucharistic revival mm-hmm. that the bishops of the United States have invited all of us as Catholics to participate. Mm-hmm. In. So it seemed like it would be a very fitting topic. Yes. So, so thanks Casey for the idea of uh, what to <laughs> thanks do. Thanks for pointing out where Chris was lacking. Uh, thanks Casey for the idea of what to do on an episode of Ignition. So uh, I thought Renee, well, we're, okay, actually question for you mm-hmm. as I allow you to sip your tea mm-hmm. and any gnats around that you want to. He's like, not here right now. Okay. I think we're okay. I think it's she, but anyway, oh, okay. um, <laughs> you know I where tell. I want to go in terms of scriptural basis, but, yeah. but anything that you want to start with when, when you think about the real presence, what it means to you or to other Catholics, or sort of what you're interested in terms of the basis for it, whether it's scripture or early church fathers or whatever. Is there, is, is there are there any dimensions of it that you thought it actually would be even better to begin with? Mm, I don't know better to begin with. I, could, I think the two that are most compelling to me are John 6, uh, that whole series especially towards the end when um, some of his disciples walk away and Jesus lets them. Um, But also outside of that, the idea that God would set this whole thing up where we actually consume him and he is inside of us is quite amazing if you just think about that for more than a half a second. We're going to start there because too often I don't. Okay. Think about it for more than half a second. Right. 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 So we have to, and, and this Eucharistic revival, I think, is an it's an auspicious time to <laughs> That's do a big so. Word. <laughs> auspicious. A U. Oh, <laughs> we should do a spelling bee episode sometime. That'd be <gasps> fun with you. Oh, I'd love. I'm to a pretty do decent that. speller. <laughs> um. Did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> In the Eucharist, we consume God, mm-hmm. and he comes to dwell within us. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, who we read about in the Gospels, who we pray to on a daily, weekly basis, whatever it is for the individual, um, God, the Word who became flesh, God who became man, the second person of the Trinity who dwelt among us 2,000 years ago, born of the Virgin Mary, dwells within me when I receive Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with you that, that too, well, I, I know you weren't saying all Catholic, you're, I mean, but I think there's a we, certainly an I, too often um, fail to consider and to be awed by the magnitude of what that yeah. means. Yeah, I think, I think part of it comes down to our, our 
puny human minds just can't really wrap ourselves around God in general. Right. And so, because if we, if they really could, I think you would go up to communion. You would, you would take your host. You would eat Jesus, and you would fall on your face. Right. I mean, if you really, if we could really wrap our minds around that, you wouldn't just be sauntering back to your pew, and you know, yeah. So this reminds me of. Uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned. You didn't use the words on wonder, but this, that's my summary of like the, for us to need to. Reflect on and 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 be overwhelmed by allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by the magnitude of what happens mm-hmm. in the Eucharist uh, and then in Holy Communion. I'm reminded of a uh, of of a story that Peter Craved tells in one of his books that I've referenced many 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 times. I've read it. I'm actually glad I didn't bring the book because it'll be it's not as compelling to read. But <laughs> I'll do that in my presentations. So the book is between Allah and Jesus. Mm-hmm. By Peter Kraft. Peter Kraft is a a Catholic um, retired philosophy professor at Boston College who's written dozens of mm-hmm. books, which are very. I mean, you might think philosophy professor. Oh my gosh, over my head. Not mm-hmm. at all. No. Nope. Very readable. He converted before conversion was the hip thing to do, <laughs> like back in maybe the '60s, but certainly the '70s. The hip thing to do. Uh, well, there be there's a wave of converts in That's the true. '80s, uh, and he was an early adopter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and yeah. Um, and in this book, most of the book is a fictional dialogue between a Muslim character and a Christian character, uh, I believe. But the opening chapter, the introduction, he tells the story of a real student that he had um, uh, who was a Muslim student. I think he calls him Isa uh, in in the, the book. I don't think that's his real name, but it's a real account. And he talks about how when he brought him to daily mass at the chapel, uh, I think at Boston College one time, and afterwards they were talking um, and this this Muslim young Muslim man was very was quiet, and Crave, what's going on? He's talking about. I just I can't imagine like what you what Catholics must be thinking. And Crave is like, oh, you must how how can you believe that? No, no, they're going back and forth. And so you Catholics really believe that that's Jesus Christ? Yes. So when the priest says those words of the bread and wine, that that becomes Jesus, and you believe Jesus is God? Yes. Uh, and then he goes on, and, and there's there's this powerful. I, I want to get this right. So, um, this young Muslim man is just. Crave can see that he's just really like grappling and wrestling with this idea, and Crave says, "Oh, you must be thinking, oh, how how could these Catholics ever worship bread and wine? It's bad enough that Christians in general worship a man, mm-hmm. but Catholics worship." bread and wine. And he says, no, that's not what I was thinking. Well, what were you thinking? I was thinking that I believe what you believe. If God himself becomes present, I was thinking, how could I ever get up again? Mm -hmm. This is a Muslim looking at our doctrine and our practice and our belief and just making the point that he would be in awe because right. this is for him the the creator and for us this is the creator who is before us mm-hmm. and usually i'm my well not usually too often too often my mind is somewhere else mm-hmm. instead of recognizing the fact that jesus christ the word by which the father speaks everything into creation is present in my midst right before me right 
Do you think that's just a natural human thing, or do you think that's the evil one working on us uh, to, well, to forget so there's about the whole quote, unquote, what we familiar, just did? Familiarity breeds contempt. You know, it becomes so yeah. familiar. Yeah. Um, I think that's that, but the, yeah, the evil one wants to distract us because he doesn't want us to to really realize. Right. So, so just uh, this is sort of a normally you may do this at the end, but I'm going to give a little action item. Uh, pro tip, pro tip. <laughs> Pray for the desire. I'm going to do this myself. Pray for a deepening of your desire and awareness, a desire for the Eucharist, and awareness and an awareness of what and who the Eucharist mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. That might be something to do. Yeah, that's a great idea. But like, how do we know though? So right. kind of going back to you. So how do we know that that is actually really Jesus? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the simple answer is because he said so. <laughs> it's always my favorite answer. <laughs> because it's not mine. You know that. You're good with well, that. Because he said so. That's, okay. <laughs> so you referenced John chapter six, uh-huh. uh, and that's where I was going to start with as well. So I just want to briefly sketch out a few places in scripture. And then with the time that we'll have left, we're going to do a deep dive. Okay. So we're going to look at John chapter six, which is, um, uh, it's, Scholars for for decades or centuries have called it the bread of life discourse. Mm -hmm. It's a teaching, a discourse that Jesus gives on this theme of the bread of life at the synagogue in Capernaum, which became sort of home base Mm -hmm. for his his uh, his his preaching, his missionary activity, if you will, mm-hmm. his preaching and teaching and so on. So we're gonna look at that. We'll look at the Last Supper accounts, mm-hmm. um, and briefly in that context of what Paul says in First Corinthians. Oh, yeah. Um, and maybe if we have time, we'll make some reference to early church fathers. Okay, we'll see. But in case you're just tuning in, uh, welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, talking with Renee Kranz uh, today about Jesus's real presence in the Eucharist, the Catholic teaching that the Eucharist is literally the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So um, we as Catholics uh, have always believed, have always believed that the Eucharist is literally Jesus Christ. It looks like bread and wine, but at the Mass, its substance, its essence not its properties, it still looks like bread and wine, except when there's miracles that happen, but its essence changes into the living Son of God, um, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's, it's the real living Jesus is truly and really present uh, in the Eucharist. We've always believed that. I referenced just, just before um, that little short break, um, the early church fathers. I mean, in the early in the early centuries of the church, there's reference to the Eucharist, and it's clear that... Uh, the early Christian writings, the early Christians in their writings believe that it's really the presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We've always believed it and because Jesus said so. So this is a, a, a doctrine, a Catholic teaching that's fu- firmly rooted in sacred scripture. How we've explained it, how we've, we've unpacked it, elaborated on it. You know, we use terms like transubstantiation. No, you don't find that word in right. the Bible. But the reality that transubstab- transubstantiation summarizes is absolutely found in scripture. Right. So John chapter six, um, the bread of life discourse, the, the context here I think is important. So John six starts with the feeding of the 5,000 right. mm-hmm. uh, and then it moves on to Jesus walking on the water. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, um, this is John chapter two, six, John six twenty two verse 22 and following um, Jesus makes his way to Caper- having walked across the water on the water. He goes to Capernaum and gives this, this teaching on how he is the bread of life. Um, and it, I, I would really encourage our listeners. It'll take too long. 
um, oh, yeah, yeah. for me to actually read the whole thing. But I just want to highlight a, a few things, Renee, that you had already mentioned. So about halfway through, this is verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He come, who comes to me shall not hunger, and who, he who believes in me shall never thirst. Uh, and he goes on from there. Um, verse 41, the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread of life which came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? So they're first like confused about the came, coming from heaven. Right. Wait, is it he, Joe and Mary's mom? He from, was born like a baby, like right, everybody else. Like, like, he's from Nazareth. Like, right. What's he mean by this? So they're, they're first focusing on what he means by that. Don't murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father uh, who sent me draws him. He goes on. 47, verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And then he repeats, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man, the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how then can this man give him his flesh to eat? So I want to stop there. So first of all, going back, I am the bread of life. Jesus could have merely been speaking metaphorically, mm -hmm. right? So initially they're more focused. I am the bread of life uh, that uh, uh, you've seen me. Uh, so coming down from heaven, right. they're focusing yep. on that because the bread of life could have just been his teaching, right? right? Jesus also said, I am the the vine um, and the you branches. are the branches. Yep. <laughs> right, right. And so he, he he Jesus does refer to him some uh, I am the sheep the, the sheep gate. Right. Or whatever. The gate. The sheep gate, sheepfold, whatever the, He uses all sorts of things uh, uh to describe his role that are purely metaphorical. Right. So initially the Jews are just I think taking um what he says here metaphorically. By the way, it's important to remember this is not just a crowd of people who happen to wander by. These are, John tells us, disciples. Right. They're followers of his. Yeah. So earlier, they were murmuring at him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. But now they disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So before, like, came down from heaven. Wasn't he the son yeah. of Mary and Joseph? But now they're like, wait, whoa, 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 what? what? Are we cannibals now? Yeah, what? exactly. What is and especially <laughs> for Jews. Yep. They would, so uh, you never, okay, you never ate the blood of an animal. Right. Um, you you could eat animals that were kosher, uh, but you would always drain the blood mm -hmm. from them first. Uh, so, and Jesus is, has not talked about blood explicitly, but he's, he's going to momentarily. He's going to up the ante. But certainly, yeah, we're not cannibals. Right. We would never do that. So Jesus goes on, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This he said in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So there's confusion. Jesus is a good teacher. Mm -hmm. A teacher does not allow confusion 
to just right. endure without good reason. Right. He does not correct their quote unquote misunderstanding. Right. They disputed among themselves, verse 52, saying, how can this man give his flesh to eat? Because he had just said, the, the bread that I, which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. He ups the ante, repeatedly saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Again, which is even more abhorrent right. to the Jewish mind. And the language that he uses here. So John, you know where I'm going. Yep, I do. Yeah, the, in the Greek, uh, he um, it's first just eat, but then he continues to use different versions of eat it becomes gnaw yeah. like to chew on a bone yes so jesus probably spoke in aramaic mm-hmm. but the words that he used when john wrote the gospel uh and, and writing it in greek the words that he uses to translate into greek what jesus said in aramaic are like yeah to gnaw yeah. as yeah. you said like to on make a it bone. clear that the, i mean actually visceral eat. physical yes. Yes. not just you know not a symbol it over right yeah. <laughs> right no Jesus means this in a very physical manner. Right. And <laughs> like, what, what, what's going on? So yeah. verse 60, many of his disciples, when they heard the, heard it said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus knowing in himself, that his disciples murmured at it, said, do you take offense at this? And he goes on from there. Uh, yeah, just because of time, I don't want to. Do you take offense? He does not correct their misunderstanding right. because they did not misunderstand. They they understood him. Uh, he he. They understood him exactly as he said it. Verse sixty six. And uh, Father Regis Scanlon, back in an article, I think Father Regis Scanlon is still alive. It's Father Mike Scanlon, who was the president of Franciscan University of Steubenville, uh, who was uh, one kind of Franciscan. Father Regis Scanlon. Um, is another kind of Franciscan, but not president of Steubenville. For the Regis scan, in an article pointed out, John 6, 66. John 6, 6, 6. We read this. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. Jesus said to the 12, will you also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have spoken to us about transubstantiation, in which the essence of the bread will become. <laughs> oh, that's not what he says. Nope. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So many disciples leave Jesus, and Jesus lets them go because they understood him. Right. Disciples, followers of his, can't accept this teaching. He turns to the 12. What about you? Will you also leave? And Simon Peter does not say, no, we totally got this. We covered, this was covered in, in Eucharistic theology 101. You know? no. But they trust Jesus. Right. Right. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the eternal, you have the words of eternal life. And we have come to know, to believe that you are the Holy One of God, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, the subtext there is, I have no idea what the heck you just meant by that. <laughs> But I right. and we trust you. Right. Right. So we're going to stay with you. Right. And I believe um, when you say, you know, Jesus didn't correct them because they they were interpreting him correctly. In other places in the Bible where they were misinterpreting him, he did correct them in certain in a couple places, if I remember right. Oh, yeah, that's that's probably the case. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Where he, well, he definitely gets he definitely gets frustrated with the apostles at times yeah. because they don't <laughs> understand him. <laughs> Seriously, guys. So yeah, that definitely happens yeah. where he will get frustrated when they misunderstand right. him, and he'll he'll clarify uh, what he means, but he doesn't here. Right. So, 
And he could have easily, if it was, if it was really just a symbol, he could have just said, oh no, don't worry. You don't have to eat anything. Right. No, he, he doesn't say that. He doesn't. So again, and now just because we're running out of time, I just make brief allusions. Uh, this is this this so this happened at Capernaum during his public ministry. We fast forward to the, near the end of his earthly life, earthly life at the Last Supper. It's called the Last Supper because it's the Last Supper <laughs> he would celebrate with his apostles, with the disciples. He take it, it's a Passover meal, but he changes it. Normally, where the lamb, the unblemished lamb, the flawless lamb. Um, normally, which had been sacrificed uh, and then prepared, cooked, and so on, roasted, it would be consumed to participate in in the Exodus. Right. Um, the Paschal meals is the sacrifice which the, the Jews participate in the Exodus. Jesus calls an audible, a divine audible, changes the uh, the call sign, but it was Omaha. He said Omaha, <laughs> and then he changed. <laughs> He changed the email me ignition at sfcatholic.org what that reference is if you know and you'll get some prize. It won't be a good one, but sure. A good prize or a good <laughs> good prize. Oh, it'll be an excellent prize because it comes from me okay, and my all heart. Right. Can't wait. Um Jesus changes the, the the Passover meal and instead of giving the flesh of the lamb. He takes the bread and says, This is my body, this is my blood, and this is the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Which I am establishing. So, Jesus at the Last Supper harkens back to John six with bread. He says, "This is my body." With wine, he says, "This is my blood." So he's establishing a parallel, and I've talked about this. I'm talking about this right now at length in the Bishop's Bulletin. Yes, I was going to say, make yeah, sure you say come, that because there was a question that was asked about how do we explain the real presence to people. Right. So if you look at, there's a, a deep, deep Old Testament roots which we do not have time to get into right. today. Uh, but check out Bishop's Bulletin um, issues going back to May. Yep of 2022 and come, coming forward from there, I do a deeper dive into the Old Testament. By the way, Brant Petrie's book, just gonna say Jesus that. and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. is where I got a lot yes. of what I talk about That's in that That's a fantastic book. Fantastic book on the Jewish Old Testament Roots of the Eucharist. Yep. Jesus is say establishing himself as the Lamb of God, the unblemished, the flawless Lamb. Um, the lamb of the new covenant, the lamb by which, which would be sacrificed the next day mm-hmm. on the cross at Calvary mm-hmm. for, for the salvation of the world, for every man, woman, child who has ever and will ever exist. Mm-hmm. But as in the old covenant to participate in God's great saving work, the Exodus, you had to consume the lamb. So too in the new covenant to participate in God's great saving work, the cross, the crucifixion and resurrection, the cross and the tomb, to participate in those, it's not enough to simply participate in the ritual. We also have to consume the lamb, the unblemished lamb, the flawless lamb, which in the new covenant is Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. Why do we do that? Because when we consume this lamb, this lamb consumes us. Ooh. We so normally when you eat food, it's assimilated into you, mm-hmm. into your body. Mm-hmm. When we eat this food, we are assimilated into him and we become more and more like him. And as he says in John chapter six, his life comes to be within us. Mm-hmm. Renee, 10 seconds. Any final thoughts? Oh, there's a quote that I know that's uh, something about if it's not. If it's not the real Jesus, if it's just a symbol, then... To hell with it. To hell with it. Flannery O'Connor. Yes, there. Thank you. Great way to end the episode. (laughs) Renee, thanks for being here again. Sure. Yep.
And folks, thanks for listening. That will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org with any questions or ideas for future episodes. Until next time, may God bless you.